Well, like Martin uh, mentioned, it's going to be a little bit different Sunday this morning. We're not going to have uh, the typical sermon with me up here preaching. But what we wanted to do was to kind of highlight a few of the ministry areas that our church uh, is involved with and uh, ministry that's going on. And we're going to do that. Uh, I get the privilege of interviewing some of these ministry leaders. So we're going to try to whip through them. We're not going to do justice to any of them. There's a whole lot more. We could probably spend a, a whole series on each one of them and what they're doing and how it fits with the mission and the vision of our church. But we're going to try to get four interviews in this morning. All right? So I know that's uh, maybe a little bit audacious, but uh, we have reason to celebrate, don't we? I mean, when we, when we look back, when we look through this AGM doc, docket, it's, uh, it's a business document. But when you really go through and you look at the financials and you look at the areas of ministry and the people serving, the people stepping up to be on the board, it's, it's truly amazing. There's reason to celebrate what God has been doing in our midst as a church. And so this Sunday, uh, we are still doing the Fast Friends series. We're still a part of that. And I actually think that that the topic for the Sunday fits really well with the idea of no sermon, but instead just doing some interviews with different ministry leaders. So I promised you last week, if you remember, a final exam, right? Let's see, do I have my slides up there yet? Oh, here we go, blank slides. Pressure's on, all right? So... In week one of the series, we said that fasting helps us to ah, be like Jesus. Very good. And then in week two, we said that fasting helps teach us to ah, repent. I heard it out there. Repent from sin. Very good. All right. Week three. See, it gets murky in the middle, doesn't it? It starts strong. You remember it well. And then kind of the middle ones, which one was which one, right? So week three, fasting helps teach us to, oh, very good, Pat, live discipline, live a disciplined life. And week four, week four was fasting helps teach us to, anyone? Yes, to acknowledge our mortality, very good. And finally, last week, I'm hoping last week, at least there's a few voices here. Last week, we said that fasting helps teach us to save extra for the poor. Well, that was pretty good. It was all right, I guess. Um, some of us can't remember what we had for dinner last night, so, you know, six weeks back is, is a little bit of a stretch, I think. Well, I want to tie it in a little bit this week. So uh, I'll share for a few... Uh, few seconds, I see we have our first crew ready to go. So the, the theme for this week is anticipation, right? Fasting helps us to anticipate a celebration. They say that patience is a bit of a lost art in our culture, don't they? I'll be honest, if my Amazon Prime package does not arrive within two days, I am not a happy person. When it comes to books, I just don't have a lot of patience. And so patience is kind of this, uh, this countercultural practice, isn't it? I mean, saying no, abstaining from something, just isn't something that our culture is really used to doing. And that's that living disciplined peace. But actually, to distinguish between fasting and feasting is a crucial part of our life of discipleship. And it is really one of the things that sets us out from the culture. A culture that says, feast. Feast all the time. And so remember that we're practicing here, right? That's what we talked about with Lent. Lent is this extended practice. It's endurance training. Right? It's two-a-days. We're practicing to discipline ourselves now. And we're, we're practicing to repent from that universal human tendency to mess things up, right? And we're practicing to acknowledge the fragility of our lives. 
And we're practicing, quite frankly, because Jesus practiced. And so all of that, all of that practice goes towards what? Next week, right? So this week we anticipate. It builds. We're waiting for that celebration, for that chance to break the fast, for that chance to feast together. And that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And I I hope that you'll come back and I hope that you'll bring friends so that we can celebrate. They can see the joy that Resurrection Sunday makes. And so these interviews today, in my mind, are a great way to build that anticipation. They kind of give us a glimpse into some of the ministries. Uh, They remind us of the fact that everyone, that everyone, young, old, it doesn't matter, everyone is invited to the feast, to break the fast on Easter Sunday. And so as we enter into works of service for the kingdom of God, we know that he has promised to meet us there, that he has promised to help us in real and tangible ways. And these are some of those real and tangible ways that he's going to meet us with. So, the schedule for today, we're going to have a little conversation with the kids from Kids Park. Talk a little bit about Kids Park. When they're uh, finished that, then we're going to bring up uh, a few youth leaders. And we have a very exciting announcement to make this Sunday, that we have hired a youth pastor. So you will get to meet our new youth pastor, yes. And after uh, the youth leaders are up here, we're going to bring Don and Pat up to talk a little bit about Bridge of Hope, what's going on there. And then finally, we're going to turn the tables a little bit, and Martin's going to put me on the hot seat and, and grill me with a few questions. So... Don, can we bring the kids up? I'm going to sit right down with you guys, all right? Oh, we got more. Okay, I got to move over. We got more coming in. Right up here, guys. We got kids answering questions already before I've even asked them. All right. We got a few hiding behind the flowers back there. Come on, guys, over here. You're okay over there? All right. You want to sit up here? Ooh, going back. So how are you guys doing? Yeah? What were you doing upstairs? Worship? Practicing for what? Oh, next, what's next Sunday? Oh, you know what? We were talking down here about practicing too. About how important it is to practice and get ready for a big celebration. So if you guys have a concert next week, why is that? Is it a special concert? Easter. Wait, next week is Easter? Yeah. Six days, just like that. Wow. All right. Well, um, I know it's, it's kind of hush-hush. It's a little bit maybe of a secret, but could you just tell us maybe one song that you might sing next week? Don't know the names. Don, do we have a mic that we could pass around that might help? You know what? We could probably use the... Here. Well, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Easter. So that's great. I'm glad you guys have been practicing. You know, uh, the Easter story is a pretty special story, isn't it? And I know that there are some people out there who might not know the story about Easter and why we celebrate it. Or... Maybe, maybe some of them are getting a little bit old, and so sometimes they forget a little bit about it, right? So I was hoping you guys could help me tell them what you're learning in kids' part and kind of retell the Easter story a little bit. I thought maybe we could start with this Sunday. Now, this is a really tricky question, but does anyone know what this Sunday is usually called? The Sunday before Easter? Sunday. Whoa, very good. Well done. That's right. So the Sunday before Easter is called Palm Sunday. Now that's kind of a funny name for a Sunday. Does anyone know why it's called Palm Sunday? Because Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem and they laid down palms for him. Wow. This is impressive. Don, you should be very... Kids Park is, that's right. So, and when he came into Jerusalem, he was riding a donkey, and what were they shouting? 
Everyone shout it out. Shout it out. Hosanna. Hosanna. Right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What, what does Hosanna mean? Oh. God? Yeah, close. It means, it means Savior or save us. Right? So the people were saying to Jesus as he, as he rode in on the donkey, save us. Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? And then as the week went on, we often talk about a special supper that Jesus had. We, we celebrated on the Thursday night. Anyone want to tell me what happened there? The Last Supper. That's right. And Is there anything special about the Last Supper that you can remember? He said that the bread was his body and that the wine was his blood. Very good. That's right. He did. He told his closest followers, right? It was just his friends and they were sitting around a table that's right, and he took the loaf of bread and the cup. Yep. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and was there something else he did for his disciples? It was kind of an act of service. They washed. They he washed their feet. That's right. Very good. Right. He humbled himself. He did the dirty work, didn't he? He knelt down and he took their grubby, smelly feet and he washed them, right? And then what happened after? He went to a garden, I think, after the supper. What happened in the garden? We got one in the back. Way in the um, He prayed to God and told them, uh, forgive them. They don't know what they're going to do. That's true. That was a little bit, yeah, a little bit later that day he did that, didn't he? And in the garden, some soldiers came and they took him, didn't they? Right? And they took him and they had a little bit of a, a trial, right? That's right. You want, you want to say it? No? You say it. What happened? No, you don't want to say it in the microphone? You show us. Just show us. Yeah, they gave him owies, didn't they? Yeah. They gave him a sacrifice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And after they gave him all those owies, they went up to Golgotha and, and they put him on a cross, didn't they? And the disciples, those followers that were in the meal with him, they didn't know what to do. They thought, this isn't the... That's right, Cadence. Yeah. yeah. This isn't the way it was supposed to go, Right? And then what happened? Does anyone know? Um, he arose on Easter Sunday. That's right. So who went to the tomb? First, how was the tomb closed? Does anyone remember? That's right, Kate. The big rock. Oh, that's right. Was it just a little rock that kind of pushed it over the hole? No? It was a boulder. A boulder. Huge. Right? Oh, the soldiers, they pushed it in front of that opening. And why did they do that? Yeah, they didn't want anyone taking his body, right? Because his body was laid in the tomb. And they put this giant boulder over. And even the governor said, you soldiers, you stay by that tomb and you guard it, right? Make sure no one comes and takes Jesus' body. Yeah, they were, guard they were supposed to guard it forever, yeah. Yeah. But then what happened? Angels came That's right. and moved the, the folder out of the hole. Very good. Excellent. The angels came and it said there were And the angels rolled that stone back, that giant stone that the soldiers had put in front, and it says the angel sat right on top. Right? And the soldiers That's right. What happened? What are we doing? That's right. Yeah. And then who came? Go ahead. Two friends of Jesus came to find out if Jesus' body was okay. Was it the boys that came? No. no? Uh, who came? Jesus' mother and a few of her friends. Very good, right? And they, they rushed to the tomb and they had some things that they, 
they wanted to put on the body, but they said, oh boy, how are we going to move that big stone, right? And then when they got there, it was already moved because was Jesus inside? No, he was, he was risen. He was risen. That's right. That's right. Did you want as well? Add something? Don down. She'd like to add something. So, when we talk about Easter, we talk about celebrating the fact that that tomb was empty and Jesus was risen. risen. And that's right. So, who can, but who can tell me what the word anticipation means? That's a tough one. If you're anticipating something, you're waiting for something. You're really excited about it. Uh-huh. So do any of you anticipate Easter next Sunday? Is that something to anticipate? That we can have a big party and celebrate in the tomb? That he's alive? That he's been resurrected to new life? Then why do we have eggs for Easter? That's a great question. Does anyone know? Does anyone know why? It's kind of a fun... It doesn't feel like there's a connection, right? But there is. What do eggs represent? Does anyone? You need to hide them and you find them. That's right. That's part of it. New life. New life. That's right. Exactly. The eggs and then we find them. And we find life. Right? Sometimes we find them. Sometimes we don't. Chocolate melted later. That's true. Yeah. Well, I am so impressed with how you guys have been learning in Park and what you've been up to. I know that your teachers talk about you a lot and how bright you are and how much you want to learn about Jesus and about Easter and about resurrection. So we, uh, we have the chance now to do a little interview with a couple youth leaders, and our new youth pastor. So before they come up, I'll just take the opportunity to, um, to announce that the new youth pastor is Sarah Eagley. Come on up. Yep. And as most of you know, Sarah has been helping out with the youth for uh, several years now. This probably isn't a surprise to many of you. She's been a faithful servant, and she has a real heart for the youth, and I couldn't be more excited to bring her on staff. All right, so um, this, is, uh, this is the image they wanted for the youth leaders group. I, you know, I attended, the, some of you may not know, but not only do our, our youth leaders serve on Friday nights at youth and several big events, but they actually meet, they're actually a life group, and so they meet on Wednesday evenings, uh, and they share scripture, and they talk about their ministry, and they talk about their lives together. And so I got a chance to sit in on that a couple weeks ago, which was wonderful. It's really neat to see. And when I was there, <coughs> Linda said, uh, I said, well, tell me a little bit about the youth leaders. And Linda said, well, we're a bit of a motley. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I guess, I guess that's what she's talking about. Bit of a motley crew. Actually, actually, I do have the image. So this is a kind of a neat thing that since uh, Sarah has taken over, they've uh, brainstormed with the youth about a new kind of name for the youth group and a new uh, image. What would you call it? Brand. Anyway, I think, Mitch, are you the one that helped design this? Is that right? So they are now the God Squad. And this wasn't, this wasn't just the youth that came up with it, but actually... Um, or not just the youth leaders, but actually the youth helped uh, brainstorm what they wanted to be called, what they wanted the group to be called, and then Mitch uh, helped with some of the design stuff. So I think that's pretty cool. Well, we have three youth leaders up here today, which doesn't give me a lot of time to grill each one of them. 
But we're going to give them a couple questions each um, so they can give you a window into... Thanks. And they can pass the, pass the mic around. So, uh, Zara, maybe we'll just start with you a little bit, and uh, I'll, I'll ask you an open-ended question. Why youth ministry? Because that's not a huge question, yeah, right? Yeah. In, in two to three minutes, you know, yeah. tell us, why in youth ministry? In the condensed version. <laughs> um, no, so I've had the opportunity to serve for the past, like, four years as a volunteer youth leader. And during that time, God's really just, like, um, developed in me a passion for these young people and to see them raised into the leaders that I know that they can be and to be equipped, you know, with the tools that they need to, like, go on into the rest of their lives um, after they leave high school. So, in a nutshell, that's, like... Yeah, I've just really um, become really passionate about it, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Good. Well, we think it's pretty neat that we're able to put someone uh, in that leadership position who has relationships with those youth, who has journeyed with them, that has helped them disciple, and, and we've really seen your heart in wanting to grow those, those youth. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I couldn't be more thrilled that you're coming on board on the staff, so... We need a little bit more energy and, and spunk on our staff anyway, so Sarah's going to provide some of that as well. Well, Linda, we'll, we'll move on to a question for you. Um, of the four of us up here, you, you have the most experience at this church in various different ministries. I wasn't going to leave it at just experience. I wasn't going to leave it there. Uh, tell us a little bit about what makes working with youth such a unique and challenging task. Well, I guess the first thing I would have to say is that uh, you'll notice there's a little bit of a generation gap, so that could be a challenge in many ways. Um, the challenge, and I, I'm going to use the word joy of working with the youth, is that although they're in a different generation than myself, they're in a different generation than when I did youth group when I was a youth, um, when I was a youth, those are the things that have stayed with me and, and developed my foundation as a Christian. The Christian life doesn't change. It doesn't matter whether it's um, 1900 or 2000 or whatever year it is. The Christian life maintains its status quo. And so um, as we work with these kids and, and uh, weekly and, and uh, provide activities, provide things for them to do, my heart says that if we can touch their life, give them the skill set, um, give them the knowledge, um, give them opportunities to be who they are and discover who they are as a Christian as they grow through this very important part of their life, that that's really what it's about. So it doesn't matter how old I am, how old they are, um, Christ's story is the same regardless. Mm -hmm. And so if we can find a place and a space for them to learn, to experience, and to uh, grow, that's to me, that's what we need to be doing. Great. Just so you know, Linda was not in youth group in 1900. All right. It was just an example. Like it. Hypothetical. All right. Uh, Mitch, maybe on to you. You know, uh, when a lot of us probably think about youth group, we might think uh, big elaborate games or, you know, driving around town for photo scavenger hunts or something like that. But um, what was really interesting to me as I sat with you guys on, on the Wednesday night and heard you talk was this different rhythm that you've tried to establish with our youth group. Um, so tell me a little bit about that, and then tell me maybe a little bit more about the discussion nights, how that works to build relationships. Okay, yeah, I've, I've kind of seen a wide range. Like, I've been here for about three years now, and when we first started, it was, it was our lessons, sitting in one room, and, and I loved it, but the kids didn't, so... Uh, I don't know, we're kind of developing our ways to kind of come up with more creative and innovative ways for the youth to learn. Uh, so I'll just kind of bring you through a typical what a lesson night looks like, I yeah. guess. But uh, we always start in the foyer. We break into uh, a big circle. And from there, we just go over simple announcements and we pray. Uh, we're really implementing prayer at the beginning and the end of our nights, which is really important. Uh, from there, we come into the sanctuary. Uh, all the kids go right middle row. And uh, from there, we're, we're getting creative. We've had leaders come up and do skits. Uh, we watch music videos. We watch videos that relate to sermons. Um, we really just, yeah, just try to be creative. And I think technology is just such a huge aspect for the youth, so we're really trying to implement that uh, within our youth group. Uh, from there, we go into about a five to ten minute sermon. Uh, and the sermon, in my opinion, is just kind of getting the wheels turning for small groups. Uh, small group. Uh, is really my favorite time uh, in youth group. 
um, it really kind of helps us build that relationship with the kids, and it kind of gives the kids uh, the chance to build a good relationship with God. Uh, one of my favorite parts about small groups, uh, so small groups, we go back into the foyer, and we break into two junior and two senior groups, and uh, from there, I think, uh, like kudos to Sarah and Linda and Shirley, uh, all the leaders, it's, it's just so well put together. When we go out, we have questions to ask them. Uh, we have discussions to go over at the small groups, which is just, just an incredible job, but uh, my favorite part is truly letting them ask questions uh, to get to know us and their faith a little bit better. And uh, my favorite part is asking them questions. Uh, uh, when they're looking to kind of build their faith and start their faith, um, asking them questions like, why did Jesus do this? Or, or why does God kind of handle it in this way? And why doesn't he just, you know what I mean, show his wrath? So I think uh, truly understanding why God does what he does uh, kind of helps the youth build their own uh, kind of foundation in Christ. And I, yeah, we have just such a unique and diverse set of leaders, uh, to put it in a funny way. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we just, all the kids can kind of look at like our, like really like eight leaders and uh, take the good and spit out the bad and just kind of build uh, their own faith. So uh, yeah, and then we kind of break into a circle, clean up and, and pray and let them go. But yeah, our small groups is uh, really, really getting better in my opinion. Yeah, it was great to hear. It was really neat to hear some of the discussions that the youth were having with you guys and really crucial, you know, uh, life discussions about their faith. Okay, Mitch, I'm going to keep you on the hot seat. Um, now, this one might be a little bit subjective, but as a leader who is closer to the age of some of the youth, um, at least some of the older youth, what would you say are two or three of the most pressing needs of our youth in the youth group? Um, I think one of the biggest things is, is just changing our mindsets. I think we're so structured, even as a society, we're so structured. So I wrote down a few. Uh, one of the things is just living in the moment. Uh, it's something I had a great talk with my mom about last night. I was like, I just need to get through this week. And she's like, like enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, I see all the juniors that want to become seniors, and the seniors just want to graduate. Right. And once you graduate, you realize university is even worse. <laughs> once you graduate university, jobs are even worse than university. So I think uh, what we're really trying to implement is just falling in love with the process of life. And, and I, I forget it all the time. I was like, I just crave the weekends. But then again... If we're just kind of fast-forwarding time, you don't, you don't grow over time. You grow through experiences and truly living life. So, uh, yeah, I think living in the moment is, is a big one that we need to kind of reinforce to the kids. Uh, another one that I found is just positivity. It's kind of funny when I ask kids, like, what was one positive thing in your week? And they're like, oh, nothing positive. I just went to school. And I think uh, if we're only seeing negative in the world, there's a disconnect between us and God. You know, like God is positive. God is good. So if we're not able to see positive, we can't really sit there and convince ourselves that we're one and, you know what I mean, kind of connected with God. So I think we're really, I think positivity is a muscle. And I think we're, we're really trying to train that muscle in youth group uh, so they can kind of experience God on a weekly basis, on a, on a daily basis. And uh, lastly, I think the, the biggest need is just I think even as adults, the biggest thing in Christianity is just how to implement your faith. Hmm. Uh, lots of people, you know what I mean, they come on Sunday, they come on Friday, and then they live their week out like they didn't even come. I think as Christians, we're just, we're better than that. We need to be able to, and I think that's why I love small groups so much, is it's teaching hmm. the youth how to truly implement their faith. And the youth are uh, just incredible stories, uh, rowdy schools, chaotic situations, and you know what I mean? Truly, to be able to break that down and be like, what does yeah. Jesus want you to do in this situation? And what would Jesus do? Uh, and I think it starts to kind of change their perceptions of uh, kind of how to act and how to react in certain situations. But, but yeah, I'm really impressed with the youth. And, uh, yeah, another thing, just to say live in the moment. Uh, I don't think, in my opinion, we shouldn't be restricting these kids to, like, an occupation. How many people out there ask their kids in, in grade 7 and grade 12, what do you want to do in your life? Anybody out there? <laughs> Like, we're all kind of referring to jobs, right? But, but I look around, and these, these kids can truly change the world. And I mm. think uh, just letting them dream, letting them grow, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll just see some crazy cool things. So, yeah, I'm excited for the future. Great, great. Well, Linda, I know it's been a, a bit of a challenge the last few months without someone at the helm. You guys have done a phenomenal job coming together as a group, leaders gelling, leaders picking up different parts, uh, being willing to serve and, and do that. So first off, I think we owe them a round of applause for doing that.
So maybe you can tell us just a little bit about that, you know, how that experience has gone and, and what worked and what's been needed out of that. Well, I will go back to the comment of being a Motley crew, <laughs> regardless of the picture on the street. Um, it's, it's been interesting because, first of all, I will tell you that I never put my hand up and said, pick me for youth group. Uh-uh. No, I didn't. Uh, God just somehow opened some doors, uh, landed me in youth group activities, and then pretty soon I was coming every week. Um, just be careful if God wants to. <laughs> just be careful depending what God wants you to do. So um, almost two years now, um, I've been coming every Friday night and more recently every Wednesday. Um, it's been interesting to work with, well, seven of us and now the eight of us because Victoire has, has joined us since he's been here. And um, what has happened is, even over the last two years, but particularly over the last... Uh, three, four months, is that we have discovered each other's strengths and weaknesses. We fill in where somebody else can't. Um, in, our, in our Wednesday night planning times, we have um, uh, found out that, oh, I can do this or I can do that. And so as a team, and, and I really stress the idea of team, uh, we can come together then on Fridays and everything just gets done. Um, even even as simple as the tables being put out, um, everybody's got their niche, their thing that they do. And uh, if someone is away, and that's the nice thing about having eight of us, if someone is away, yeah. we can be. But um, then there's always somebody else to step into that role. And uh, I think as a, as a team, we've gotten stronger. As a team, we've, we've developed our own life group as well. Um, and... Uh, you know, digging into scripture, digging into not only why are we doing youth, but how do we do youth so that the youth will benefit. And I think that's really what we're about as a team is we stop ourselves and say, well, why are we doing this? Um, maybe we should do this. How do, we, um, how do we create an activity that allows growth or change or those kinds of things? And uh, really, you know, we want to find out from each and every youth where they are at. And we're, we're slowly discovering not only where we are at individually, but where each of the youth are at and where they're at in their lives and what their, their, their uh, deep needs are or their, or their desires and those kinds of things. Those are important uh, to us, but it's also important that we are strong as a team. It's also important that, that we uh, maintain a, um, a good foundation so that we can uh, serve and that's really what our team is, is uh, a group of servants. Uh, for those of you who have uh, teens coming on Friday nights, we want to serve you, and we will continue to serve you. Amen. Thank you. Well, Sarah, back to you for the last question. Uh, I know you're just taking the reins, but you know the group of volunteers that you have and the servants that you have. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about what's up, what's next, right? What's coming for the youth group? What, what do you foresee as something that you're excited about doing as the youth pastor? All right, so um, a couple, like a, a month and a half ago or so, we came up with like kind of a vision statement for our youth group. And uh, so it, it just went like this. It's like we just want to create a fun and safe place for the youth to come, learn about Jesus, and um, be given the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God and to grow in that relationship with hmm. God. And so um, expounding on that a bit more, I think it's important that we continue the discipleship, like especially like the small groups and like um, we having like the same people in each small group right. each week. So, we, you know, we're developing relationships between the students and the leaders and uh, to continue that discipleship and to equip the youth and give them tools that they need, you know, as they graduate, you know, to continue on with the rest of their lives and to continue, continue in their faith for the rest of their lives. Because I know that once you graduate, it, like, you get into the world yeah. and it gets all crazy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's just building on that foundation. And um, the foundation that we've um, built over the last, like, three or four months here has been really great. And it's just, like, we have some fine-tuning of stuff to do. And, um, you know, we'll be working on that in the yeah. coming months. And we'll go from there. Great. Well, thank you. Please join me in giving them a round of applause. I'll grab this. We're going to play a little bit of musical chairs here as I move this one off. Well, I'll invite Don and Pat to come up. Thanks, Sarah. Um, while they come up, I can tell you a little bit about my redemption story this week. 
at Bridge of Hope. So my redemption story at Bridge of Hope this week is, for those that don't know, it's a soup lunch. And we just had one this past Wednesday we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, but my redemption story is I grew up eating borscht soup out of a can. And it was just beets and cabbage. And Judy Giesbrecht, where is she? She's here. I saw her. Oh, there, yeah, yeah, sheepishly. She made this borscht with sausage and beans and other vegetables. And I told her, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to stay away from the borscht because bad experience growing up with it. But trust me, if you ever get the chance to have Judy Giesbrecht's borscht, it's a redemption story for me. So, well, welcome. Uh, Don, maybe started off with a little bit of a somber tone. Uh, you had the challenging job of presiding this past Monday at Megan Williams' funeral. Megan was a, a regular with our Bridge of Hope crew. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about that and the connection and, and how that fits in with Bridge of Hope. Um, Megan was just 31 years old when she passed away um, a little over a week ago. And uh, I met Megan actually about eight years ago, before I was on staff here at the church. Um, some of you know my friend Betty Voisey, who passed away a couple of years ago. And at that time, Betty was very ill in the Peter Lougheed Hospital. And I had been with her all evening, and visiting hours were closing. And so I was on the elevator, and there was this gal on the elevator, and she made some funny comment, and I laughed. But... I could just see this pain behind her eyes, and so I started chatting to her. We ended up, you know, standing in front of the elevator, elevator bank, and then we went into the chapel, and like two hours later, we'd been sharing and laughing and crying and praying together. Um, I didn't even realize she was even First Nations then. I, I don't think about people in those sort of terms. But um, so I'd been working here for, I don't know, maybe six or so months, and she walked in. And you know when you see somebody who you've met before and you're trying to place where you know them, and we're looking at each other, and then at the same time we said, oh, the elevator in the hospital. <laughs> and, um, and so Megan is, she's originally from uh, the Blood Tribe, which is down near Cardston, but her mother um, married her stepfather, and they live at Sutina, and she has several um, stepbrothers and sisters. So Megan was a regular here when I met her. She was living in sobriety, um, but that was a really rough roller coaster for her. And so over the years, myself and Martin um, had many conversations with Megan as she came in and out. And um, so we call this, funny enough, I called this group of guys, about 12 guys, my motley crew. Um, at Sutina, they're known as the Regulators. And uh, I was just glad to find out they weren't called the Terminators. So, <laughs> but this group of guys always came in, and, and Megan sometimes was with them. Sometimes she just came on her own. And uh, she'd always said to me, so when I die, I want my funeral here because this church has always shown me so much love. And I would say, oh, I'm so much older than you, you don't need to worry about that. I'll be long gone. And so needless to say, her funeral was on Monday. And, um, and one thing that I found out through all of this with Megan was that Pat used to walk by the church all the time and uh, had never come in. This is a couple of years ago. And he was sitting in the um, bus shelter reading his Bible, and Megan saw him and said, why didn't you just go into that church? So it was actually because of Megan that Pat first came here. And so I think she probably told a lot of the guys that this was a safe place to come. And uh, as I've shared on a couple of Sundays previously, uh, one of the regulators was a guy named Brian Many Wounds. Brian died um, in October. He was 26. And, and we just, I'm going to let Pat share kind of what happened with that later. Sure, sure. Well, Pat, I was lucky enough, like I said, to be here on Wednesday, and it was my second Bridge of Hope lunch, uh, yeah. which is wonderful. It's a highlight every month for me. I think it's five, number five or six overall, something uh, like that. Yeah, there's, it's the fifth one. Fifth one, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but for those people here who haven't been a part of it, haven't been able to come and help out, can you just tell us a little bit about what that monthly event looks like and what you're trying to accomplish with that? Well, it's not me that's doing anything. It's God. Like, it's him that's really pushing me. I don't know like, what's going on. <laughs> I don't plan anything. <laughs> it's just things fall into place. And, you know, God is so strong and so wonderful that this lunch is working good and that it's bringing the people here to God. And it's what God wants for the Bridge of Hope, for the people from sitting in the community to be able to realize you don't have to practice the traditional way. You don't have to practice this way. You can turn yourself around, turn Christian, which is I've done in this past year. And uh, the Bridge of Hope lunch was to start. It started all because of Brian Minimums. He passed away last October. And I remember that I wasn't here. I was in treatment at the time. And I'm an alcoholic, an addict. And I'm fighting these problems every day. And, you know, when I got back, I heard about Brian Minimum's passing on. And it really hit me because I work at a men's shelter. I work at a men's homeless men's shelter. I myself am homeless, but I work at a men's shelter too. I also live there and work there. So I, what I do, I like what I do. And when Brian passed on, I was shocked because I came back and like Don said, he was one of the regulators and he hung around. I'm older than all of them. I didn't lead them, I just followed them around. And uh, when I got back from treatment, me and Don were talking and she, we mentioned Brian and then, I don't know what just we're talking about, just talking about things and next thing you know, um, I told Don, Don just said, he said, you know what? And I told him, I, at the same time, it was so awesome. She said, you know what? And I said, you know, I just told her, I said, you know what, Don, I just got it stuck. And he's smiling at me, and she wants to tell me something. I'm looking at him, and I said, I, I wanted to speak first. And I spoke up, I said, well, God said, feed my sheep. And then she smiles at me. That is what going through my mind right now. So this is what set me off. It's, Holy God, God is working through us. And I, I was like, I'm traditionally, I believe in a higher power, and I call him the creator. And, you know, I know there is a God. I, I, I'll be honest, I speak to him all the time. Anyways, um, practicing these ways, these traditional ways, made me thought about what, when that, when Don thought about when God spoke to us about feed my sheep, and I thought about the traditional ways, right away, there's three meals that go traditional. And it's whoever uncle, auntie puts it up. So I put up two meals right away. Actually not I, but God put up two meals. And he, traditionally, it's supposed to be three meals. But the third one is up to the mother. So I did two meals, and that's what started the Bridge of Hope, is because of Brian. And it was to bring the people to God, because a lot of the natives out here, we do not all, not every native practice traditional ways. Not everybody. I was fortunate. I was fortunate because God made sure that I learned. I learned from three years old. My grandpa used to grab me, put me back at horse, we're gonna go pick medicine. And I'd be hanging on to a saddle, don't know where I'm going. <laughs> you know, okay, we pick this, we pick this, we do this. This is for healing. This is for bones. This is for that. I learned all those ways. And my, my, my brothers were too busy into their addiction. And I had no choice but to learn these ways. And God taught me all these things. And I learned from that, and I learned to switch over to Christian way. God taught me all these things, and I'm so grateful because he, I didn't understand then that God was talking to me. I didn't understand that the voice I was hearing was God. And what kind of... Last year, Don asked me, when I came back from treatment, I was quite shocked, like I was... I kept, I kept telling Don, I studied the Bible, like, I studied the Bible really hard. Hmm. And I don't know, I, 
God helped. He helped me study the Bible. And I got, I became Christian at this church. And the Bridge of Hope was to bring people from, to God in both communities and bring the communities together. This is what God wants. He wants the community here. You guys have been here forever. And you don't see anybody, any of you people up here. You don't see people walking through Sarsi because we don't know each other. And this is what the Bridges Hope is, is to bring us together, to understand each other. You know, I lived through this life of um, prejudice, of uh, um, assimilation. I learned back in 1979, I had to write up people to keep my job. I used to drive Calgary Transit. And I learned from that, that I had to get into the world to understand what it was. And I always had long hair. Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> God was always good to me. He's always been very good to me. He's, he's taught me to pray every day. And this bridge of hope is to bring us together. I want the people out there to feel what I feel about Jesus Christ. I want the people out there to understand the truth, that there is truth, that there is real life, that there is a God. Mm -hmm. I want the younger generation to understand that the bridge of hope is to bridge us together and not, not, not to be afraid of each other when, when oh, there's a native coming in. Just this morning I was coming in. A cop car stops in front of me. <laughs> I kind of laugh because I've been used to it. And he's watching and I turn in here and same thing. And this is what I want to stop. I want us all to get along. God wants us all to get along. Amen. He wants us to live together in harmony. He wants us to love each other. And he wants to work together. And this is what this Bridge of Hope Lunch is all about. It's not about us. It's not about... It's about God. And it's about Jesus Christ. It's about what God can do. And, you know, God can do a lot. And I'm not the one that's doing this. God does it. Even when it comes to setting up the meal, I don't do it. I listen. I, uh, I, you're, you're very humble, but at the same time, you all need to know the amount of respect that Pat has in his community. Um, I mean, Chief Crowchild was here on Wednesday for the lunch. I spoke to him, how highly he speaks of Pat. Uh, one of the council members I got to share a table with, he couldn't stop talking about Pat and the amount of respect in that community. So I appreciate you pointing to God and, and giving him the glory. Yeah. But it's really been a treat to watch you serve, to have you here. You, you answered my follow-up question already. <laughs> <laughs> We're so happy that, that God has given you this vision to feed my sheep and to bring these, these communities together. And, and we know that that is what the Spirit has in mind. And, and so I thank you and, and Don for your work. Don, I'm going to ask you one final question, if that's okay. Um, we're eager to help. This has been something that's been, I mean, grassroots to the extreme as far as uh, the Spirit giving Don and Pat the same vision to feed my sheep. And it just started from there. So how, as a church, how can we come alongside? How can we be, be a part of it? We, we want that vision of being one, of bridging these communities. So what can we do? Well, there's a, there are a number of things you can do, and some people have been just like helping with these lunches, like providing us with some hearty soup. And um, our next lunch is on April the 18th, and we're going to have one every month. And um, so if you you know, want to make some hearty soup, and even if you have to bring it on a Sunday and leave it in the fridge, that, that would be great. And um, we've had just such a tremendous response to that. And so we can spread the love out a little bit and just let me know if you want to bring. And once I have about four or five pots, I'll say, okay, thank you, maybe next time. Because <laughs> I actually had to turn a couple people away this time because the response was so great. And, uh, and then just having people here, I think the tremendous yeah. thing is to, to have uh, people actually here sitting with people. I know, Suzanne, you came, and, you know, those guys who you talked to that day, uh, Todd and, and uh, Steve, 
they still talk about that lady who gave them that scripture. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And uh, Todd was here this week. And, um, and you know, there's several of you who have, have been here and making those relationships because, you know, the thing is that a lot of First Nations people haven't had a great experience with white people. And I think every other color of us fall into white people. So even if you're Filipino, you're white people. Um, but, and you know what I really noticed, what really hit me is um, going out and sitting with Megan's family, um, grieving with them, helping them plan. Uh, Megan always hoped she could go to school. She wanted to be someone classy. Addiction beat her to the ground, and we gave her a classy funeral. And spending that time with her family, who are all hardworking, they all have good jobs, they have a beautiful home. And when we were burying her, I'd never been at a grave site where everybody stayed till the last bit of dirt was back in that grave and smoothed it all out beautiful, put the flowers back, everybody stayed. And I looked around that crowd of people, and do you know there were only a little handful of people who I know who have really severe addiction issues there. A whole bunch of them don't. And the reason we don't see them walking down the street is they're busy working, right? And so when it really, really bothers me when I hear people say, oh, drunk Indians, I just, that just makes me cringe, and I think it does the same thing for the Lord because I'm just as afraid. I mean, we, my husband and I did a year and a half in rehab with our daughter, Larissa, and I'll tell you, there were some really scary white guys in there too. And, uh, and I'll tell you, it, we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I have been seeing the effects of, of prayer. Um, Pat didn't share this story, but there's a, a group of people who live near him. It tends to be the place that a whole bunch of people who are drinking and smoking pot gather together. And Pat was going there every day and praying with them. And they were mocking him and telling him to be quiet, get out of here. And he phoned me all upset one day, and I said, you just keep going and doing it. He's, he, he's almost 60, so he's an elder. They have to respect him. They have no choice. They actually can't kick him out. So they have to respect their elders, and that's a really great thing in their community. But you know the most amazing things happening in that house? We have three people who are now trying so hard to stay sober. And, uh, and despite themselves, and it's those prayers, and we have to just keep praying. And some of them have been saying, could we have a Bible study? So pray for them. Pray that somebody will be willing to open up their home, that we could maybe do like an alpha course or something, because the people are hungry. They're actually very deeply spiritual people. They have a way better starting base than most young people today, because they've grown up with a sense of spirituality. And, and I think, like Megan's funeral, for those of you who are here, we did a beautiful job of combining Christian elements and traditional elements because they do believe in the Creator God. And so I just think, open your minds. When you see a First Nations person, don't assume that they're going to rob you or ask you for something. And Lane preached about last week, maybe the thing you do need to do is buy them a cup of coffee or give them some bus money, and don't assume the worst. And um, yeah. that's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Don. Well, we're going to turn the tables a little bit. We'll do musical chairs one more time. And uh, Martin has taken the questions that... You sent in last week, some of you wrote them or emailed them in uh, for me. And so he's going to put me on the hot seat. And it's a lot harder to be on this side of the microphone than it is on that side. So uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. It's always better to be the one asking the questions <laughs> than the one answering, right? So, uh, yeah, when Lane first suggested he wanted to do this, I kind of looked at him and I thought, is he crazy? <laughs> Why would somebody put themselves on the hot seat willingly? But... You know, I've come to, Lane, to know Lane, and he's, uh, he's a pretty open guy, pretty open guy. So uh, last week, you, you gave some questions, and these are some of the ones that you asked. And uh, 
We'll, we'll jump in right at the deep end, shall we, with the most important question of all that, uh, well, maybe only one of you wanted to know the answer to, but we're going to ask it anyway. So, Lane, who is your favorite CFL player, past or present, and why? Those deep philosophical questions. Deep. Uh, past or present? Well, I have to say, uh, this is a little bit of a, a cheat answer, but when I was growing up, uh, for a, a period of time, the Calgary Stampeders quarterback went to my church. So I love football, all right? I know most of you know that I played hockey. My dream was always to play football. Um, and when Danny Barrett uh, was at our church, that was like a dream come true for me. So I remember playing football in the schoolyard and getting into disputes with my friends about this rule or that rule and being able to go home and my mom would call Danny Barrett and I'd get Danny Barrett on the phone and I'd be like, okay, Danny, so here's what happened and here's the dispute and can you tell me what the real rule is? Um, so he was a, a real mentor and, and a, kind of a hero for me growing up. So that's kind of, it's a little bit of a cheat answer. But as far as players I like to watch, um, Alan Pitts, some of you might remember Alan Pitts, was a slot back for the Calgary Stampeders. So I, was, I had to live vicariously through my college roommate. While I was playing hockey, he was, uh, he was a slot back for the Dinos. Uh, so I always told him I lived vicariously through him. Okay, I'm going to lose the mic here. It's got red on me here. But anyway, next question. Lane, your family have been here for approximately two months now. Um, so what, what have you enjoyed most about Oak Park so far? Aside from the coffee? Is that... Aside from the coffee. That... Let's try and go a little, little okay, deeper a little than de that. A little deeper time. than that. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I... Um... I mean, it sounds kind of cliche to say that there's been so many things that we've appreciated, but it, it's true. There really has. We've been so impressed with the community and with the people and the competence and the hard work. But I think if I had to narrow it down and, and say one thing that we've been most impressed with, it's been the fact that there's buy-in. I think that's, in a lot of ways, credit to, to the current leadership, the elders and the board, to past leadership, to Steve, who was here, um, that people here get it, that the priesthood of all believers mean that it's our work together. And so people show up, you know, people buy in, people understand that there's a need, let's meet it. Uh, people are, are taking initiative to ask me, how can I help? How can I be a part of this? That's really an amazing thing, uh, and I, we've been so impressed with that. Yeah. Good. Awesome. No doubt we'll learn more about your faith story as time goes by, but uh, perhaps for now, by way of a starter, tell us a little bit about how you came to Christ. Sure. Uh, for a lot of years, I, I was kind of shy about sharing my story, not because I was embarrassed by it, but because I thought it was a little ho-hum. You know, it wasn't... Uh, there was no Paul Damascus Road experience. There was no prodigal son that left and, and came back, and I felt, oh, it's kind of boring. Who wants, to, who wants to hear that sort of thing? But I think I've grown to appreciate the fact that um, it needs to be heard, <laughs> that we need to hear stories that um, people are nurtured in the faith. So my father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. Um, I grew up here in Calgary. At a very healthy church in the Northwest. And uh, I went to one church my whole growing up uh, until I was 25 and we moved away. I was, I was at the one church. My father was a minister there for over 40 years. Um, I have two older brothers who are strong in the faith and uh, would not let me stray for anything. And, you know, it's interesting, even, even this morning as I look around, um, this church was obviously a sister church of my own, but I can look around here and I can see Bob McCullough, who was one of my Sunday school teachers, and I can see Tyler, who I grew up with, and, and Jesse, if she's around, I didn't see her, and Rico, who I went to Bible college with, and Ron, who uh, was my boss at Alberta Bible College, and George Graffender, who was uh, a youth leader for me and did uh, leadership and training, and just countless others of you 
It's fascinating. Maybe fascinating isn't the right word. It's amazing to me. It's very humbling to me to look around and realize uh, the, the debt that I owe. And even though I've never been a part of this church, I'm only two months here, that debt is already great. And those people have nurtured me in the faith. So I, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old. It was actually after a Sunday night service at Cambrian. Um, we watched the Jesus film. And it really just hit me that that was for me. And I remember uh, <clears throat> driving home in the back of the station wagon and just uh, telling my parents that I, I was ready to make that profession of faith. And so I did that, and we were meeting actually at uh, Diefenbaker High School at the time, so we didn't have a baptistry. So I waited until May long weekend, family camp at Pine Lake Camp. If any of you have ever been to family camp, uh, my dad and I plunged in that water and there was still ice floating by. I remember that very vividly. Uh, and I was baptized May long weekend. Right on. Great. Great. Anyone who's been in the water at Pine Lake, you know that it <laughs> There's more than just ice floating by. It's, <laughs> it's cleansed in one way, unclean in another when you get out. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Now, every church has its own personality. So when you compare Oak Park Church to your church in Toronto, the one you came from, what are the, some of the differences that you see between the two? And what worked well there that might translate to us here? Right. I think I would, I would need to uh, back up just a little bit and give you a bit of background. Uh, when we left for Toronto, the plan was for a two-year uh, seminary degree in, at uh, Wycliffe College. And so uh, Chantal, my wife, had grown up in one church in the Lower Mainland her whole uh, growing up, and I'd grown up in one church. And we thought, you know, what a great opportunity to go to Toronto and to uh, experience uh, diversity of church communities. And so intentionally, we spent the first six months visiting a different church each Sunday. Um, and that was the idea of, what is it like to be new? What is it like to walk into a church where you're the new person? And how, how does it make you feel? And what's important? And what makes you feel welcome and at home? And so after doing that, we, we plugged in. We still thought we were only going to be there for two years. We plugged into a, a very large, very well-run, for lack of better words, uh, Anglican church in downtown Toronto. At the time, it was the largest Anglican church in the country. Um, and again, that was a little bit for something a little bit different. Uh, we could walk there. It was a short walk, and we knew some people there, so we plugged in there, and um, and as our time uh, came to the, an end there, and we realized that I was going to stay and do a doctorate, which is five more years, uh, we decided that we would shift over to Hillcrest Christian Church, which again is, is a part of the same movement of churches as, as Oak Park. And I had been preaching for them uh, semi-regularly already. So we decided for the last five years that we would plug in there and that would be our home church. So there's a lot of diversity going on there, and I, I think, and as well, we had weekly chapel uh, at our college, so we had that church community too. So it was a wonderful learning experience for us. We, we got exposed to a lot of different things in the Christian tradition that we didn't grow up with. We got uh, to experience a lot of great things, a lot of not-so-great things. There was a lot of, uh, let's not do that in our ministry when we start, uh, a lot of those experiences. I think... One of the things that struck me for the larger uh, Anglican church in downtown Toronto was um, the commitment to a level of excellence. And I know that can sometimes make people a little uncomfortable, and it sometimes errs on sort of a professionalism. I, I'm aware of that. Um, I felt like this community did not, you know, slide into that. But, man, they were committed to doing things well. And if they couldn't do things well... Well, then they took a break. They're not going to do things just to do them. They're not going to just put a warm body in there and say, well, we have a volunteer. But a commitment that actually God calls us to excellence. And so that's what's demanded. And even if you're a volunteer, it's excellence. Um, that's one thing that really impacted, impacted us. 
And then from our smaller community that we moved on to for the last five years, which was uh, struggling a little bit, one of the great things that, that they did, it was about 75% Filipino in that church, and, uh, and they know how to meet around a table for food. And they know what community is, and they know what chipping in is to help each other out. And it was, it was a family. I mean, they loved our kids to death. They doted on them. They supported us. Uh, it, was a, it was a tough slog sometimes getting through school and trying to help out at the church. Um, but I've also noticed that these are two things that Oak Park does well. Um, and so it's not necessarily new things that we're trying to bring. I think there's a, there's a level here of expectation of excellence, which I'm really impressed with. And uh, you guys know how to eat, too. I mean, meeting around the table. We're talking about Bridge of Hope. We're talking about the potluck today. The potluck when you welcomed us on our first Sunday. All of those things. So, yeah. Great. Great. We look forward to many more potlucks. And, and other things, too. <laughs> so, anyway, time's marching along here. So, one last question. Sure. Um, before you came to us, Lane, you'd already been in leadership in a variety of different ways and areas. Um, tell us a little bit about your leadership style and how you see that style benefiting our church. Sure. I think if, um, if someone were to ask me or to tell about my leadership style, I would want them to first say that uh, I model servant leadership. That's the most important thing in my mind. If, if people don't respect the way that I serve, that I'm actually involved, that it's not some sort of delegation or some sort of hierarchy or autocratic leadership, but that I know how to roll up my sleeves and, and serve with the best of them. So that's my hope and, and my prayer that uh, God will give me more and more servant leadership. I, I'm someone who's drawn to collaboration. I played sports my whole life. Team is a, a crucial aspect for me. I've been given a lot of different opportunities to, to serve and to lead, and I'm very thankful for it. It's something that I feel like God has endowed me with a gift of leadership, but it's also a responsibility, right? And so uh, I take it very seriously. I, I, you'll notice that, you know, I, I'll invest a lot in uh, leadership development. So whether that's with our staff, with our board, with our elders, with our ministry teams, uh, that's something that I sink a lot of my time into, and I think is something I can bring to our church community um, as well. So... I'm not much of a process person, so if you said, uh, you know, are you more concerned about getting the job done or necessarily doing it right, the truth is I'm probably a person who would lean toward getting it done, but I also recognize that I need those people, those process people around me, um, and they're key to, to helping my leadership thrive and, and to flourish, so, yeah. Right on. Yeah, working alongside Lane, I've, I've definitely seen him very ready to jump up. Do you need a hand with that? Don, can I help you? You know, he's very hands-on, very willing to just jump up and pitch in and, and help get things done. And, and team and collaboration is, is again, has shone through. So we're glad to have you, Lane. We're excited for the future of our church with you as a big part of it. And that we're grateful to, to have you in our midst. And it, it's, it's already been a lot of fun working alongside you. So um, look at those people, look at our servants at the back there, ready to go with communion. So we're going to switch over to communion mode now. I'll pass this back to you, Lane, sure. and, uh, and we'll honor the Lord in this way. Thanks, Martin.